Gracious Father, we come tonight at the end of this study, having uh, gone through this letter uh, that we call Galatians. And Lord, uh, Paul has been talking quite forcibly uh, as he is laying out really what it means to be justified and thus saved. And tonight, Lord, we, we look at how he ends this. And in many ways, it is a powerful summation. But at times, it can be challenging for us to, to understand. He does it in such a quick-tempoed style. So help us just slow down, look at it, understand it but also see the power of it as he talks about um, well, what it means to stand before you on the day of judgment and the implications of where we will spend eternity. And Lord, may that just totally sink in and may we come to understand the power of this message that he's been laying out over the past several weeks. So we ask for clarity, understanding, illumination of the text by your Spirit, and challenge us, Lord. Challenge our heart, challenge our mind. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're picking up um, in Galatians 5, 25 and 26. We said that was kind of a, a swing or bridge, uh, short little uh, pair of verses from 5 to 6. But really to understand what... Okay, I just look up and I see all these people coming. Uh, to understand what, uh, what he's trying to say and how he's trying to wrap up this argument, we really need to go back to 5.13. Because this is in keeping with the flow that he really, uh, well, that he's been doing throughout this letter, but particularly in verse 13 of chapter 5. And he had just talked about how in 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free, free from the law. But not only are we free from the law, we're free from the yoke of slavery to sin. So he says in 13, For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve, and we argue that, that really the Greek says enslave yourself to one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So he's talking about this love your neighbor as yourself, what Jesus outlined as the second of the two greatest commandments and says everything else in the Bible hinges on those two. So Paul brings that up. So he's talking about this importance of loving your neighbor and not being devoured by basically uh, being at each other, competing with each other, consuming each other. Then he goes into this section about walking in the Spirit because that's the only way we can do that. Okay? The only way we can truly love our neighbor is by walking in the Spirit. So he goes in this walking in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Remember, that's what he just said. Okay? Don't, don't take that opportunity to, to serve the flesh. Walking in the Spirit is how we keep from because they're opposed to each other. He talks about that and then he gives us the two lists. This is what it looks like to be living in the flesh. 
This is what it's like to live in the Spirit. And we argued it's important to understand that this isn't, we don't just go, okay, I'm not supposed to do this, and I'm supposed to do this. That's not what it is. That's just trading one law for another. That what it's saying is, if we have the Holy Spirit, if we're walking with the Holy Spirit, if we're led by the Holy Spirit, and we're just going to pick up a new one tonight uh, that we're going to see, that we, our lives will start looking less like this and more like this, the fruit of the Spirit. We don't do the fruit of the Spirit, okay? We do not do the fruit of the Spirit. That is the result of the Spirit working in us, thus fruit of the Spirit, not fruit of the Tom, okay? Or the Amy, or the Jason, okay? So we talked about that last week. And we talked about how he says no one is going to inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, no one's going to be saved that does this list. You know, on this list had what? Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, all that. That was that list. Okay. And over in this list, a couple things. Love, joy, love, foundation of all. We're going to get to that tonight. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness. We're going to hear that word again tonight. Okay, that's the fruit of the Spirit. And those that belong to Christ have what? They've crucified the flesh. That's the first step, dying to self. First step to sanctification, we're justified. The Holy Spirit comes into us, and we start to die to ourselves, crucify the flesh. Here we're talking our sinful nature, and we start what? Walking with the Spirit that he's talked about. Okay? And then we come to 25. If we live by the Spirit, so we've talked about walking in the Spirit, or walking with the Spirit, you know, being led in the Spirit, or led by the Spirit, and now we're talking about living by the Spirit. All generally the same thing. Okay? And what does that mean? That means turning our lives over to Jesus Christ. The old, the old way of looking at it, in, in the uh, early uh, Puritan days, they talk about turning. Turning from this world of flesh to Christ. And we turn. We don't whip. You know, it isn't like this. That's what sanctification is. It's turning. That's what walking, or living by the Spirit, walking, led by the Spirit, walking with the Spirit. All that, that's what it means. So, 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, let us do what the Spirit would have us do. Keep in step with the Spirit. Don't let the Spirit get way ahead of us, okay? It's like the Spirit is trying to do a transforming work in us, but we're back here going, yeah, I'll catch up with you someday. No, we're to stay up with, that's our part of sanctification, we will stay up with what the Spirit is doing in us. And the Spirit starts to take our desire away of something we're not supposed to be doing. We don't fight to keep doing it. When the Spirit starts to give us a desire for that which we're supposed to be doing, we don't go, yeah, no, I don't think so, okay? So that's what 25 says. Then he comes to this part. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And here's where 25 and 26 is really where the bridge is. 25 is more on the text we were just at. 26 uses what 25 says and takes us where we're going. And this is this idea of comparison, okay? Don't, don't 
get conceited because you think someone is lesser than you. I mean, how do we do this all the time, right? I mean, it's how I, I, how I thought of myself, okay, for a long time. Okay, as long as I can find what? 49, 49.5% of the people that are worse than me, I must be good. Because at least the top half's got to make it, right? Great on the curve. God's going to take at least half of the people that are out there, okay? So all I got to do is what? I got to run faster. The bears chase me. I got to run faster than those people that are going to get caught. I got to be better than those half that aren't going to make it, okay? That thinking. Well, Christians still fall into that trap, and Paul knows it, and he's going to talk about it tonight. I got to think of a name of nobody in this room. Um, um, yeah, right. Well, you never know. It's a good one. Okay, uh, I was going to use initials, and I go, wait, one of you will say, well, those are my initials. Okay, uh, 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 um, What's the new, what's the new uh, little guy? Archie. Any Archies in the room? Is there an Archie in the room? Okay, Archie's having a little trouble. Archie's doing some things he's not supposed to be doing. We look and go, whoa, well, at least I'm not Archie. I may not be perfect, but I'm no Archie. Okay, it's so easy to think that way. Now, we're not going to say that. Or if we say it, we say it to maybe our spouse. Or, but we're not going to think it. But that's really in there. And that's what he's saying. And then don't provoke one another or envy each other. Okay? Wow. I, I wish I had as nice a Bible as Tim had. I wish this. I wish that. Oh, wow. They got to be whatever. They get to lead a discussion group. I don't know if that's a positive or not. Um, they get to do all this, you know, this, this envying because that's, that it starts to lead to bite, devour, consume one another. Okay? So he's saying don't do that. Alright? Keep in step of the Spirit. Don't provoke one another. Don't envy one another. And, and so that's our opening thing. And now we're going to go into what it looks like. Okay? So we go 6-1. Brothers, what does it look like to love your neighbor? You love your brother. What does it look like? If anyone is caught in any transgression, in other words, sin, or it could be sin of, of doing something wrong or sin of not doing something, you know, like not coming to church, not um, praying. You who are spiritual, what does that mean? That just means anybody that's got the Holy Spirit. Okay, so any brother or sister in Christ has the Holy Spirit should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Okay? See, the problem is this. Most of us go, oh, man. I don't, I don't, I don't want to get involved. I'm not going to walk up and say anything. You, you go say something to them. No, I, I'm not comfortable with that. No. And it sounds like confrontation. I don't want to do that, you know? No, the point is, do we love, do we love our brother and sister in Christ enough to do what's best for them? Do we? If, if we say, oh, I don't like conflict, I don't feel comfortable, I don't know what to say, then we don't love them enough. We don't want what's best for them. We're wholly and completely worried about who? No, 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 no. Here's all my reasons why I can't do it. Because I'm not good enough. I'm not this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not holy enough. Oh, my goodness, you've got to be kidding me. 
How could you ever say that? Really? None of us are. Paul isn't saying only you who are super duper really with it. The super spiritual elite. You know what every commentator says about this verse? He's not talking about the spiritual elite. Everyone, big, bold letters. Going, wow, how do you feel about that? He's not talking about that. It's the foundation of what we're going to be talking about tonight. Do we care enough? Love is a powerful word. If you, if you like your brother and sister, eh, they've been good to you. You know, if you could maybe get a reciprocal thing back from them someday. No. Do we love them enough? And that love, remember this is the second command. We've got to keep it in context. It comes from loving God, what God's done it. It's because we have what? The Holy Spirit. This isn't Tom just gutting it out. Oh, I don't want to do this. Okay, i got to find a way. i got to find a way to go talk to whomever, right? No, this is the Holy Spirit. This is walking with the Holy Spirit, living by the Holy Spirit, okay? This is the Holy Spirit working in us because we love God. And the Holy Spirit comes and empowers us to love our brother and sister enough to want what's best for them, to come alongside and try and help them restore them back to proper relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But we do it gently. We don't come all guns ablaze and we don't come judgmentally. We don't come, you know, what do you think God thinks of you right now? Well, I know God thinks you're an idiot for saying that, but, you know. Yeah, okay? We get to test this fruit of the Spirit, one of which is what? Gentleness. We let the Holy Spirit speak through us instead of us coming with our, I know it's best. But it starts with loving them enough to do it. See, if we come as an act of love, wanting what's best, we want to do what has the best chance of actually being effective in their life, where they might actually hear us. We come at guns a place and they're not going to hear us. But if we come gently in love, there's a chance. No guarantee, okay? It's no guarantee. And, and, and it's not us anyway. It's the Holy Spirit. And there's many situations. I mean, if they've made a conscious decision to do something that's wrong in the eyes of God. You know, if they're going to go, like, have an affair or something, and they're, 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 they're believers that just go and do something crazy, yeah, they probably factored in what you're going to say, but that doesn't mean we don't try. But we don't own that. We own obedience of coming to them out of love and trying to help them find their way back. That's a transaction between them and the Holy Spirit. And it's a, it's a powerful way to see what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. I mean, you're scared out of your mind. You're going, I hate confrontation. I have no idea what to say to this person. And yet, I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit 
that he's going to give me words that as I come expressing my love for them, that he's going to come up with the appropriate thing to say. That is learning to be reliant on the Holy Spirit. See, too many of us think we're, like, here's, you've heard me say this before. Here's God, here's us, and we're just doing what God tells us to do. So we, this is like a command to us, like a law. Oh, okay, I'm going to write that down. Okay, it's something, I'm going to go off and do this for God. Stop. No, wrong. No. We walk with Christ, in Christ, with the Holy Spirit, and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in that situation. We don't go off independently do that. That's wrong. That's wrong. Okay, so he lays that out. In the spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. And we're going to argue for three things, three ways you can be tempted. The first one is literally be tempted into the sin that they're doing, depending on what sin it is. It wouldn't be the first time that somebody went to correct someone and found themselves getting sucked into that situation. That's one way. Second way is that it's a sense of pride. Well, at least I'm not doing what so-and-so is doing, whoever that is. And it puffs us up because we feel what? More righteous than them. Talked about Third one is, okay, so, so we go there and we help them turn back. And then we go, different kind of pride. <laughs> I'm pretty something. I'm amazing. We start boasting in ourselves, okay? Three ways we can get sucked into sin in trying to do this. And what he's saying is, hey, just watch yourself, okay? Be careful. D- don't get thinking you're so righteous. Don't think it's you that turned them around. It's the Holy Spirit. And three, don't, don't get any ideas about what they're doing, okay? That kind of situation. And then we come to two. Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. We have to define their burdens. Maybe it's a gender thing. Maybe it's uh, how you look at the text. But I, I see that, and I understand that, that the Greek is clearly talking about physical needs. Okay, And it first and foremost, it starts off with financial needs. So bearing the burden is helping brother and sister who's in need with financial. Now, we know in Thessalonians, it tells us there to do that, but only if they are trying, you know, if they aren't willing to be part of the solution, then no, we aren't just paying them to sit around and do nothing. Okay, so when I see that, I, I know it starts with financial, but it goes beyond that, and it's, it's all their, their, their needs, their, their burdens. I'm, I'm at doing our lunch thing that we do, and, and a number of people say, oh, no, that's emotional. I'm going, What? That's not what the text is talking about. What do you mean emotional? Oh, yeah, the burden of, oh, my, my child is not walking with the Lord or my brothers, you know, whatever. This emotional burden never dawned on me, okay? That is not, I'm not saying we aren't called to do that. That's not what this passage is talking about, not what this term means. So when we're talking about bearing one another's burdens, that means helping out 
you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, the, the term starts with financial, but it goes beyond that, okay? And then he says, so fulfill the law of Christ. We see the law of Christ and we go, okay, woo, what's the law of Christ? Back to, to Ben's comment, what, three, four weeks ago, when he talked about if we, if we kept Jesus' writings, or basically what you can interpret as the law of Christ, you know, does that make us perfect? Well, we can, and this is very common, we could take, here's the Mosaic law, and the Mosaic law is fulfilled by Christ, so there must be what? A law of Christ. All I got to do is take Jesus' teachings, codify it, and I got the law of Christ, and I'm good. I got a law again. This is super. Well, first off, how in the world could we ever think, after all Paul just wrote in Galatians, that he'd substitute a law of Christ for Mosaic law? That's not what he means. When he refers to the law of Christ, what he's talking about is literally this commandment that we're dealing with, that Jesus pointed out. When Jesus was asked, what are the two greatest commandments? He went to the Mosaic law and took out two and said, these are the two greatest commandments, and everything in the Bible is grounded or hangs on these two items. And that first one is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Second one is, love your neighbor as yourself. So the, the law of Christ is literally those two, but right now in Paul's passage here, we're focused on loving your neighbor. So bearing one another burden is how we fulfill this law of, this command of, this teachings of Christ, and it all focuses on our interaction with our neighbor, how we love our neighbor. See, so often, in, in, it's an issue in America, people write about it all the time, there's tons of books written on it. We're so individualistic that we, we sit there and go, well, as long as I'm good with God through Jesus Christ, that's the end of it. I'm good, right? No. That is certainly not the teachings of the Bible. The Bible says, oh, the fact that you're right with God through Jesus Christ is evidenced by what? How you interact with your fellow brother or sister, or in this case, he's going to go on in just a little bit, your neighbors, in other words, all all the people. So to be this, right, is evidenced by this. And that's an important part to understand. We can kind of get this idea that, you know, priesthood of all believers, we're Protestants. As long as I'm, I have faith in Christ, I'm right with God, I'm justified, I'm saved, I'm done. It doesn't matter what happens around me. It's like John Stott who wrote, the Christian that thinks that he can be justified by not and not being interactive with anybody else is fooling themselves. Evidence of justification, as we've been talking about here, as we just saw in five, evidence of justification, being saved, in other words, in common vernacular, is how we interact with others. We're going to see that a little more in a little bit. Then he goes on, and this, this, is, a, this is where that kind of abrupt series of transitions come. 
bear one another's burdens, so therefore fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Well, how does that fit with what we just saw? Well, it's a little strained, in, especially in the English, but if we think we alone are something, when we are actually nothing by ourselves, we deceive ourselves. That's going to be clarified in just a little bit. In fact, he's going to say it in a way that is going to sound a little easier to our ears. Then he goes on for, but let each one test his own work. Then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. What does that mean? Didn't he just say, wait, how did we get here? We're talking about the day of judgment. Okay? And what he's saying is, look, examine your own life. Don't look at your neighbor. Don't be comparative. Don't say, well, compared to... You know, these people over here, I'm doing great. That's not what he's saying. Or he's saying, don't do that. Because on the day of judgment, we stand before Jesus Christ, the triune God. Okay, that's the safest way because God is judging us through the Son, but the Spirit's part of it. So the triune God, we stand by ourselves. It isn't like, you know, like we're all going to stand up there together and he goes, okay, yeah, you guys are really good. You guys weren't, okay? No, we individually stand by ourselves and, and our lives stand on their own, okay? So we, we have to be aware that we don't worry about ourselves. We don't compare ourselves. We look at ourselves and are we living, you know, going back to five, are we, are we living more here than here? Okay? And, and we boast, if we're going to boast, in ourselves alone. Okay? There's not a comparison. All right? I know we come out of that going, okay, what was that? And then he brings greater clarity in this next section because he now says it in, in ways that we have heard before. Let the one who is taught the, the word share all good things with the one who teaches. This is like a one-off, but it's really common in Paul. Basically saying, those that are being taught, the import, he holds the teaching of the word very highly. Obviously, it's what he does. He says that those that are being taught should financially support those that are doing the teaching so that they can teach. And he uses it in half his letters. He uses a similar thing. He throws that in there. Okay. And then in seven, he, he kind of starts to wrap up this section or starts to bring a clarity to what he's just said when he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will, be, will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Basically, he's saying, hey, what you do is going to be what you get. Now, this kind of messes with us. Because we're going, well, wait a minute. You mean I stand before God, triune God, on the day of judgment, and my life is examined, and I'm judged according to that? Aren't I getting a free pass 
because of Jesus Christ? Okay? Isn't it just, he forgets everything I've ever done, and I just get in Christ? No, not quite. Remember what we just said. If you're in Christ, you have what? The Holy Spirit. If you're walking with the Holy Spirit, what's happening? These bad things, envy, sexual immorality, conceit, all these anger, rivalries, all these things are diminishing and the fruit of the Spirit is increasing. That's your life. Okay? That's what's being judged. The evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence the evidence of faith in Jesus Christ because you can't get the Spirit without faith in Jesus Christ. So what happens is this, and this is the great paradigm. So you're telling me I have to do good things to be saved. No. You have to believe in Jesus Christ to get the Holy Spirit to be able to do good things. There's no shortcut. You can't just say you believe and mock God. And you can't just do good things trying to get in, thus also mocking God. You have to actually believe, receive the Holy Spirit, and move through the Holy Spirit from here to here. So what does it come down to? One thing, faith. It's the only thing that matters. The only way you get from here to here is faith. True faith. You can't mock God. You can't job the system. You can't play the game by saying, oh, I'll look like this and I'll get in. Really? Or I'll say the right thing. I'll say I believe in Jesus Christ. I'll, I'll say that, you know, he's the son of God. I'll say he died for my sins. Yet, not really believe that. That's the power of this whole process is that we actually have to believe. We can't sort of believe. We can't play the part. We can't be hypocrites and kind of fake it. We can't just say the right things. We actually have to believe. You see, what Luther did and subsequent reformers, he reset it all back. And in doing so, he messed with us all. Because where we had gotten as a church, I will try really hard to do all these good things and try really hard not to do these bad things and thus I'll be saved. And Luther said, no, it's not, you can't mock God, you can't fake the system. You're saved by faith and faith alone. Nothing else. As much as you try to find a shortcut, as much as you try to look a certain way, as much as you try to say the right thing, you have to truly believe. And that's the only way. And it all is linked to faith in Jesus Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit. Without that, yeah, we're nowhere. We can't just try harder. We can't just pray the right prayer. 
we actually have to believe completely and wholly that God has done what he says he's done and that Jesus Christ is truly that way. He goes on. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we do not give in or give up. You know, I, I got to be honest. It, it, you know, I always ask God to speak to me first. You know, I mean, before I can stand up here and say anything, the text has to say something to me. So, you know, I mean, no, no great shock. You know, 66 years old. And um, as of a couple of weeks ago, so, you know, I just think, okay, what, what happens? You know, I've said many times, you know, I'm going to go to 70 and then just kind of figure it out from there, you know. Then you read a thing like this and you go, when is it okay to retire from God? I mean, really. The closer I get to the day when I face God in judgment, are the days I've spent less time serving him? I get in my head, I've done enough. Now I'm in those years where they can be about me. I can do what I want to do. I can go where I want to go, live how I want to live. Oh, I'll still have my faith and I'll volunteer here and there. But really? Do not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Hmm. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, broad, neighbor, especially those who are of the household of faith. And he goes on, verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It's unusual that he writes himself. We know he's got hand problems from all the things he's being beaten. and um, So many things have happened to him. So often there's a person that's writing for him. But here he's actually writing. Large letters, is that for emphasis? Is that because he has poor eyesight? We don't know, but. But he's saying, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Remember how through this study we said, well, maybe these Judaizers really believe that this is what they need to do. This, maybe they believe this is what these Gentiles have to do to really be saved or stay in Christ. And Paul's saying, no. They're doing this for their own self-interest. They're worried about the Jews persecuting the new Christians. So they want all the Christians to be circumcised so that Jews will get off their back. And he goes on, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. They know they can't keep the law, but they want to be able to say, See what we've done? We have gotten these Gentiles to become Jews before they became Christians. Aren't we great? And who are they saying that to? They're saying that to who? 
The Jews who have rejected Christ. What master are you serving? Judaizer, what are you thinking? How in the world could you put the people that have rejected Jesus Christ before Jesus Christ himself and the people he's bringing to freedom? But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I died on the cross with Christ. In faith, in being, in Christ, I died to the world, I died to sin, and it has died to me. We are no longer in relationship. I am in the world, but I am not of the world. I'm in the world, but I do not serve the world. I seek to save the world, not be its slave. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Circumcision means nothing. What means something is being made a new creation in Jesus Christ by being transformed by the Holy Spirit, by allowing Him to move us from here to here, from the sinful flesh to the new creation of a child of God in Jesus Christ. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. We don't see that many places. What is the Israel of God? Well, scholars only see two options, but the vast majority see it for what it is and what, what we hold. It's the people of God through Jesus Christ. See, see Christ came and fulfilled the law, became the new temple, became the new Israel. Okay? And in that process, he creates a new Israel, as we've talked about, the new circumcised, and they are circumcised of the heart, and they are the followers of Jesus Christ. They don't replace the nation of Israel. They are the fulfillment of Israel. And the remnant that we've heard so many times, that we saw in Kings and we've seen in Jeremiah, that remnant of Jewish people who believe, Paul being one of them, are the remnant that carries over the link between the ethnic old Israel and the new spiritual Israel. They are the link, and they are critical. There's always a remnant. It isn't like God turned his back on the, on the Jews. He didn't. But those that believed make the transition. Now, we all know it was a small number compared to the total. But they are the ones that provide the continuity between ethnic Israel and spiritual Israel, the Israel of God, the Israel that is created through faith in Jesus Christ. Look at, look at um, the first three chapters of, Isaiah, or of uh, Ephesians and look how he argues for this unity around Christ, how he brings both the Jew and the Gentile together to be one. Okay? So that's what he's meaning by it. And then in 17, after that powerful... Grace and mercy. 
He seems to vent for a second. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Christ. Okay, I've had enough of this, okay? Just knock it off. I've been getting beat up enough. I've been taking so much because of what I'm teaching. Would you guys just stop this? Okay, that might have been a little heavy emphasis by me, but that's you kind of feel Paul's pain and anguish for all he's been through and having them not understand. And then finally, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Be with our spirits. Remember, that's how we're, that's how we're saved. That's how we receive the Holy Spirit. We don't earn the Holy Spirit. Okay, we don't deserve anything, right? Well, we deserve what? Right. Hell. But by going and turning to Jesus Christ, through His grace and mercy, we receive the Holy Spirit. But this is not a, a, you know, a transaction of equality of value. Like, I'll give you me, you give me Holy Spirit. No. We can't say you owe me. Wait a minute, I read here, and if I do this, then you've got to. And that's often how we come. And who saw it that way? The Jew. What do you mean? I'm a Jew. I have the law. I have the temple. I'm from Abraham. I've been circumcised. You owe me. God, you owe me. No Christian has any place to ever say that. I don't care if you're doing all of this to the best of your ability. You are still owed nothing because you only received through the grace and mercy of God through Jesus Christ. We, need, we can never lose sight of that. We can never think we've earned anything. It's grace and mercy of God through Jesus Christ and the grace and mercy of the Holy Spirit. God could have done a lot of things. But remember one thing. The goal has been a relationship with us, an intimate relationship, that which is achieved only through the Holy Spirit. Why is Jesus Christ sent? Because the Holy Spirit, God, cannot be with us because of sin. Jesus Christ came to take care of the sin issue so that God could dwell with us, with us, and could lead us to living a life that is right for us. God looks down and says, I want to do something for these people, but I have this problem I sin. Okay, I'm going to take care of the sin, then I'm going to send my spirit, and I'm going to lead them through the spirit to where they need to go for what's best for them. We need to understand it that way. Otherwise, we think we're earned and we've done this and he owes us and this and that. The Spirit is the key. Jesus Christ is the way. But the Spirit's the key. All right. Grab your Bibles and go in your discussion groups.